Okay, 2 Peter. We're jumping in, and this is part two of last week. So if you were here last week, you got kind of the, the intro, the beginning. If you missed it, you can kind of go back. You can watch online, get caught up. Don't do it right now. Do it later. Watch online and then get caught up and then kind of, you know, like, like listen to these almost in reverse. But um, we, uh, the way Peter works is uh, chapter one is all about how do we know what's true and he goes through scripture. Chapter two is about lies and how do we know what's false teaching and what do false teachers look like and what do they do. And then chapter three is the end of all things. And so here we are at the end of the end of all things. And, and we're going to jump right in because, um, man, he, again, this is, we said this last week, but I'll say it again. This is, this chapter has some unique content, some new, unique uh, theology that is only found here in all of Scripture. So there are things that comes up that, like, this is the only place we find it. And so it, 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 it just gets, it, it, um, it creates a little bit of work for us to try to really understand what this is because we don't have much else to go on. Um, I remember, uh, I remember um, the, when I became a Christian, Again, it was, uh, um, I didn't grow up in church, so it was later for me, and, and, uh, and it was all new. Everything, you know, I learned in church was, was new. And I remember one particular, one particular guy in the church um, who was extremely generous with this stuff, older guy, but extremely generous, and, uh, and to, the, to the point where I'm going like, man, that's weird that you're just giving people like this stuff or letting them use this stuff. And this is like thousands of dollars worth of stuff And you're just going like, oh here, use mine No big deal, you can just keep it as long as you need it And I'm, I'm going like, did, did you just, like what? Um, he was a photographer and so he had all kinds of camera gear And you know, if, you know, if you're a photographer, you understand Like your camera gear is your gear And that's, it's not cheap and, and it's fragile and, and like, you know, you baby that stuff Like this is, this is like his lenses and the whole thing This, this was his job, this is what he did So he had really nice gear And uh and he would give it to people to use me like hey use mine keep it as long as you need it and i'm going that's probably a nine thousand dollar camera like i don't think i've ever seen nine thousand dollars and you have that in a camera and you just gave it away and i'm going like man what like that's that's really nice of you and he said this hey it's all gonna burn one day anyways i'm like what what do you mean it's all gonna burn I didn't know. I don't know what he's talking about. And his, like, his, the way he lived, this idea that, hey, all my stuff's going to burn anyways, comes out of this passage this morning. The theology, the understanding of, hey, it's all going to burn anyways. I don't need to hold on to this, comes out of this morning's passage. And so we're going to look at it, and we're going to look at, though, I, though the sentiment is good, is that accurate enough to say it's all going to burn? Now, for him, it was... Uh, his understanding was a benefit to him because he saw like my physical possessions aren't that important because they're not eternal. I'm not going to have this forever. So instead, I want to help people and love people and, and be generous with people, even with my stuff, because, hey, I'm not going to have it forever. And, and that, man, that is commendable. This idea like goes, it's all going to burn. I remember hearing that and thinking, man, and then reading this passage and saying, wow, is everything really going to burn? Like everything, everything you've ever touched, is it all going to burn up? All right, Peter is going to add to this conversation. He's going to give us some insight into this, and we're going to spend some time figuring this out. So if you remember last week, we talked about how 25 of the 27 uh, chapters or books of the New Testament reference and, uh, and allude to or speak about the return of Jesus. 
And in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, it's referenced over 300 times. So, so this isn't like the return of Jesus that we're going to be talking about this morning isn't new or unique to Peter at all. It's all over the New Testament. It's a big deal. But what he is going to talk about is unique. And so here's what we're going to see. The first thing right out the gate that we're going to look at this morning that he's telling us is this. The overall kind of the general theme this morning is this. Here, ready? Write this down. What you believe about the future shapes how you live today what you believe about what's coming shapes how you live today and that's true of everyone this isn't like unique to us where we say well because we know like the bible tells us what's coming up here's how we live this is true of everyone who has ever lived that you live in light of your future at least what you what you hope or expect or at least your your best educated guess about what the future will be you make decisions today based on what you think will happen. And this is true in your business. If you have a business, you're trying to predict markets. This is true financially. This is true in, in, uh, in your career. This is true in your family. This is true in relationships. It's true in your education. Like in every area of your life, you make decisions today based on what you're thinking will happen in the future. And so what you believe about the future it has a direct impact and it shapes how you live today. Now, this is no different when we talk about like the end of all things. What you believe about the end of all things, like, like the Jesus returning and the end of the world, whatever, whatever you understand that to be, it shapes how you live today. And Peter's gonna tell us that very thing that, listen, I'm telling you about the future because I want it to change your present. I want you to, to live today in light of tomorrow. So we're going to jump in. And the first thing, verse 10, he's going to tell us is this. The end, the end of all things, the end of, of the earth, the kind of the end of sort of time as we know it, the end should cause us to self-reflect. That how it all ends we're given this information ahead of time, should cause us to, 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 to do a little introspection and say, all right, if this is true, if this really is how it's all going to end and, and what's gonna happen, I need to do some thinking. I need to do some, just some, some soul searching here. To, I just gotta look inward a little bit. The end, he's gonna tell us, will be sudden and terrifying. Here's what he says. Chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, referencing now the, the return of Jesus and the beginning kind of the end of judgment day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus talked about this. Paul talks about this, that the, that, that the return of Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Jesus talked about it, coming like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief quietly unknown um quick story this just happened I, it's not even in my notes because literally this happened this morning uh i woke up to uh the sound of our garage opening at like five in the morning and uh our garage opens and then our like smart home stuff says like the garage door is open and so i woke up to the garage door is open going i know i didn't open it i'm in bed right and i'm doing this i think there's a burglar this morning this this morning what was it 5, 5 a.m four hours ago i had a thief trying to break into my house the dogs were useless didn't do a thing 
So I, I get on like my phone. I look at my, okay, the garage door is open. It says it's open. I wasn't making that up. I, it's open, right? I know Megan's right next to me. So I'm like, she's still asleep. I don't hear her. So I don't want to wake her up. But also like, you know, she's going to have to defend us if something happens. <laughs> so I jump on my camera like before I go down and like end my life. There is a thief here, and, and I need to turn on my camera. I need to j- jump on, and I turn on our garage camera, like, outside of it, and I see, I see Megan, my wife, walking, and, and I'm, and, you know, and, and I, and, like a good husband, to protect the home, I shut the garage door on her, trapping her outside, um, and uh, so, honey, forgive me, uh, but I'm like, we got a burglar. We got a thief. And it was her. She, we're checking on the neighbor's dog, and I'm like, okay, it's fine. I don't know why she's doing it at 5 a.m., but she got up and was like, all right. This morning, I had that feeling of like, without any warning, without any other than like, like no dog warning, nothing. A thief is here. And here's what, here's what Jesus tells us, what Paul tells us, what Peter tells us. The day of the Lord will be just like that. It's not going to be this preparation and this sort of like, hey, all right, I got 30 days, 30 days and he's coming. It's just going to happen. And we're going to say, whoa, 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 what? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then he says this. Here's where things get different. The heavens will disappear with a roar. In the Greek, the sound roar is, is not like the roar of a lion, but it probably means like a thunderous sound. It even has um, some undertones sometimes used for crackling, which may be fire, so that this, this roar, theologians will say, like, is probably the sound of God's voice itself. Like God, the heavens will roll back and there will be this thunderous de- declaration of the Lord. The elements, here it is now. This is why, why my buddy said that it's all gonna burn. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, as we jump into this, uh, there's a couple options here. There's three op- There's really three views to understand what this is. There's three possibilities, so to speak, that, that commentators and theologians throughout time have really said, like, okay, it can be one of these three things. And, and three of the, like all three of them land in two kind of categories. And, and we'll look at these categories here in a second, but they are this. The replacement and renewal. Just remember those two words. We're going to look at it here in a second. Replacement and renewal. And, and depending on what you think about these makes a big difference in how you understand the future. So the first view is this. The elements, and we're, we're, what we're looking at is literally the word element in the Greek. This word that is that's translated element literally means element. And, and what does it mean? And the plainest, like the plainest, most obvious like reading of it literally means the elements of everything. That this is like, when you think of elements, you think of like what, the, what everything's made of. And the plainest reading is, yes, that, that, is the, that is the most common use of this word is, and it literally like, you know, in, in, uh, in antiquity, in first century, what they would say is that this refers to water, fire, air, and earth. Those were sort of like the four elements that make up everything. So in this view, this is what often we call the replacement view. God is going to destroy everything, the elements with fire. So water, air, land, even fire, like everything that exists will be destroyed by fire. This is first view, all right. The second view is, uh, is that the elements isn't referring to everything, but rather it refers to uh, what we could call heavenly bodies, meaning 
the, the elements in the sky or in the heavens is what the Bible calls it. This is not a replacement view that God is destroying, completely destroying everything and replacing it with a new earth, but rather a renewal view that God is going to renew the earth into a new earth. He's not going to destroy every single element, every single uh, you know, uh, uh, element on the periodic table, every single neutron or proton. It's not that view, but rather he's going to destroy very specific elements or heavenly bodies and renew the earth. And the heavenly bodies then are those that we see in the heavens the sun the moon and all the stars this view is uh, is held and referred to um, and looked at with a few other scriptures the first is isaiah in 34 isaiah 34 it says this all the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll even the language is very similar all the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. In Revelation 6, we see, again, the same, the same theme picked up. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. This is John now getting this revelation and seeing this, and he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now the sixth seal opened by this lamb. There was a great earthquake. And then it says this, the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. Same thing we see in Isaiah. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Not destroyed, but, but removed. Put somewhere else or taken away. So what this view looks at and says, okay, these elements that, are, that he's referring to, and, and there's a reason because in a few verses that seems to be like he seems to make a parallel here is it isn't that everything's going to burn but rather everything around the earth everything we look up and see is going to be destroyed and like a scroll rolled up like everything like the rest of the universe around the earth will be destroyed and and like this will be destroyed by fire and then the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And the idea here is whatever protection, whatever things, whatever, whatever surrounding the earth is now gone and now the earth is in full view of God for judgment. So, so this view, God's gonna renew everything, but first he's gonna remove everything around the earth and then he's gonna, now the earth is open for judgment and God is gonna judge everything. And then in this view, he creates a new heavens and a new earth. A renewal of what he currently made and then there's a third option and this one takes a whole different route and the the elements here refer to not like physical like the physical elements or the the elements in the sky and the heavens but rather this view holds to that these elements are spirit beings these are actual spiritual beings uh, that god uh once created and eventually fell and sinned and now are in judgment and that these elements or elemental spirits are going to be judged and destroyed by fire this view um, comes uh, in, there's a verse in galatians from paul that seems to again at least at least point to the possibility that this could be the case he says this in galatians chapter 4 so also when we were underage we were in slavery here he says under the elemental spiritual forces of the world 
he uses this word element as like a, a reference to these spiritual beings that, that we're in bondage to before we become a Christian, before you decide to follow Jesus, you're under the sort of the, the, the rule of these elemental spiritual forces, these in what he would say, these are demonic ones. That the whole world is under kind of the, the rule of angels. We don't see them, and, and not like you, it's not like you're possessed, but rather that, like the Bible says, that the devil is the prince of the air, and that he does have some dominion on the earth, and he says we all, until we experience freedom and salvation in Jesus, all right, these elemental spirits have some force over us. Now, whatever the answer is, and I, I'd land in a particular one I'll share here in a second. Whatever the answer is, it will cause the earth and everything in it to be under God's judgment. And this is why, this then is why we say, all right, my understanding of the end should cause me to do a little self-reflection because eventually, when we get to the end, now here's the, the scary part. Everything and everyone, it says, and everything in the earth, everything done in the earth will be laid bare and exposed to God's judgment. Everything you've done, everything your family members have done, will be laid bare and exposed to judgment. He's telling this as a warning, but also as a, hey, listen, this should, this should cause you to just step back and say, ooh, really? Everything? Yes, everything on the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare before God in his judgment Ooh. the end should cause us to self-reflect here's the second thing he's gonna, we're going to see the end should cause us to then because we should self-reflect and we know judgment's coming it should cause us to lead godly lives the end should cause us to change how we live now Peter again brings up the strong connection that, we made, that he made earlier in the passage that we talked about last week that, that he makes a strong connection between the end of all things and holy good righteous living that what it means to live godly, he connects with the end. And because of what's going to happen, you should live then differently now. He's going to say it again here. In verse 11, it says this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, everything referring to the elements that he just talked about, what kind of people ought you to be? Here's what he says. This is rhetorical. He's going to answer that. Here's how you should live then. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and, and speed its coming. That's an interesting statement. We'll look at it in a second. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is why uh, option two seems to, like is where most commentators throughout time have landed. That it isn't, the elements isn't everything that has ever been made, everything you've ever touched, but rather it's probably option two, the heavenly bodies, because he again mentions here that, that the element, that that day will bring about the destruction, not of everything, but he says, he seems to like give some insight into the, everything he's talking about. And that is the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. What we, what, where I land, what seems to be, make the most sense is that it isn't the earth that's going to be burned up and destroyed and recreated, but rather the earth is going to be renewed and judged and everything around it will be removed and destroyed, if that makes sense. 
Everything, the heavenly bodies will be destroyed by fire and then recreated. Wow. And, and as much as we say like, how can that be done? How is that even possible? I mean, we don't even know. We don't even know. Like it's hard for us to even measure the size of the universe and it seems to be expanding, right? At a, at a constant rate. But we don't even know everything in the universe. How, how can it be that in an instant it's going to be destroyed and then recreated? And, and the answer is, is simple. Not, not easy to understand, but it's simple. Here it is, ready? God created it all in the beginning with a word. It would make sense he could do that again. <laughs> it would make sense that he could say, you know what, hey, listen, I'm going to remove everything and start over, and by my word, I'm going to recreate a new heavens oh and renew a new earth oh okay so we see that that this destruction it seems to be that not everything's going to burn but rather everything is going to be removed the earth is going to be laid bare and judged and then it says and he says this because of this because of how it's going to be you ought to live holy and godly lives this should cause you to think about how you're, really, how you're living today. That the stuff done in secret, the stuff no one knows, the stuff that none of us know about, ready? He says, that too will be judged one day. We see all throughout the scriptures, this idea of, of a future judgment day coming in, of judgment seat, that what's referred to the Bema seat of Christ, where he's going to judge the deeds done, both good and bad. And so, all right judgment is coming it is talked about in the scriptures who knows when that's coming but it's coming and he says because of that you should live holy and godly lives now don't wait for that moment to say oh i should have made it i should have made i should have done things differently he says i'm telling you it's coming so you make that decision today to live holy and godly lives and then he, he says this, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Again, another interesting, unique statement that, that seems to be unique with Peter, but it, what, what seems to be the case. Now, this, tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Many commentators, in fact, most commentators will say that, that what seems to be the case is that, is that God knows the day, but somehow in his infinite wisdom his ability to see the future and the present and the past all at once that somehow what it looks like for us is that we can we can speed up his coming based on how we live there's a passage in acts that talk about this that that uh, that talks about that more people um who come uh, uh put their faith in jesus um that it will they will, they will uh it will speed up Jesus' coming what there seems to be a case again that, that some, somehow the things that we do can actually bring this closer, at least in our understanding of, of making it sooner. But for God, he's like, I already know what's going to happen. But, but for us, it's future. For him, it, everything's happened at once. Like he sees all time at once. But for us, somehow we play a part in this. He doesn't tell us details. He doesn't give us specifics. But rather that, that we look forward to God's coming, the day of God, and can somehow speed its coming. There's another passage in the scriptures that talk about that, uh, that the gospel must be preached to every tongue, tribe, and nation, and then, and then Jesus will come. 
there's this idea that we really do play a part and that spreading the gospel, this is why missions work is so important because there seems to be a case where until the gospel is spread around the whole world, Jesus isn't coming back. And once that does, like at some point, somehow, it all works out that, that once every tongue and tribe and nation has heard the gospel and then Jesus, all right, now it's time. And somehow, some way, we can, we, can, we can speed that up with our missionary efforts. All right, all right. So live holy and godly lives because you know how it's gonna end. And somehow, some way, our holy living can speed up this process. Then, after this happens, after what seems to be, in my, again, in my view, option two, that the heavens are destroyed, the elements will melt by fire, and then there's a, a new heavens, he says, we look forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells, where sin is dealt with, and now it's all, it's all right living. Ooh, this is what the end of Revelation talks about. If you want details and specifics, go read Revelation 20 through the end, and, and you'll see this new heavens and new earth. And it's remarkably similar. Here's the thing. It's remarkably similar to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and then 3 right before the fall where, where it's almost like everything that happens from the beginning of time to the end of time is all to, to kind of complete the cycle, so to speak, to restore us and renew us back to how, how things were pre, pre-sin and pre-fall. The difference though, there's one difference. I don't know if you've thought about this. The end, uh, in Revelation, there's a garden. There's the same trees that are in there in Genesis chapter one. But there is a difference. You know the difference? People will be wearing clothes. It's a good difference. It's a very important difference. We all have robes on at the end. So thank you, Lord, for providing. <laughs> because you know how the end lives, he said, this should, live, this should cause you to live godly lives. Then he moves on. He says this, the end. The end should cause us to share the gospel. The end should cause us to self-reflect. The end should cause us to live godly lives. And the end should cause us to, to look at the importance, really, seriously, to take seriously the importance of sharing the gospel. This is a similar theme. We've talked about this before. Maybe you've noticed a common theme because Peter talks about this and he references and he, and he makes like very specific mentions of, of listen, because of this, you should then share the gospel. He goes on to say this in verse 14. So, so then, dear friends, dear beloved, loved beloved ones, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, how do you do this? At face value, you could read that. And again, if you're just pulling out one verse and saying, that's what I want. All right, what does this mean? No context, no other references to the rest of scripture. You look at this and say, all right, God wants us to live perfect lives. He wants us to be spotless and blameless. And the way we do that is by not sinning and by being perfect, and then we can have peace. But when we read the rest of scripture, we know that's not possible. We know, and we're told the way we become spotless the way we become blameless, the way we find peace is through Jesus and only through Jesus. That we have peace with God, that, that what Paul calls it, that, that at one, he said that uh, at one time we were enemies with God, but now we have peace with God through Jesus. 
that what it, this is a call to the gospel to say make every effort ready here to live godly lives but to, here's how you're found spotless and blameless and at peace with god make every effort to get to that point and he knows and we know and he's going to tell us that that is only through jesus turning your life to Jesus, repenting and believing and saying, I'm in, Lord, uh, all right, I accept the forgiveness you offer. I'm following you. I'll do what it, all right, I'm in. Awesome, okay. Now you are seen as having the righteousness of Jesus himself, that when God looks at you on judgment day, he says, hey, listen, you are a sinner, a filthy sinner. And you're like, I know, I know. And he says, but here's the deal. When I look at you, I see Jesus. Because the cross covers your sin and the judgment poured out on him took the place of yours so you are spotless and blameless and forgiven come on into this place that we prepared for you (laughs) there will be no greater words to hear than when jesus says well done good and faithful servant come and enjoy what we've prepared for you (gasps) listen every minute of your life should be living in anticipation and in preparation for that one moment he goes on to say this bear in mind verse 15 bear in mind that our lord's patience means salvation there it is we looked at this last week that he says that god is not slow but rather he is patient not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance and he says it again Bear in mind that our Lord's patience, here's what it means, ready? Salvation for people. God is patiently waiting so that more people can be saved. All right. Just as our dear, and then he says this, this is great. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way uh, in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. And then he recognizes like some of the stuff that Paul writes is heavy and, and complicated. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. They twist or contort like a contortionist. They, they twist it to make it say what they want it to say. They do this with Paul's words. And he says, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction so we're told here that the lord's patience means salvation that he's willing to wait and to put off this judgment and this renewal process and this this new heavens and new earth because he wants more people to be saved and he wants the gospel to spread around the earth that the lord's patience means salvation so we should say all right lord please be patient be patient a little bit more so that more people can be saved that we want you to come back but we need more people to come to know you all right and then we get this little insight now um if, if, you're, if you're new to faith or new to, to the scriptures and maybe don't have a, a really like broad understanding of some of the, the events that happened, I want to catch you up. And some of you, uh, you, you know this already, and so like it's just going to make it an, an insight that maybe you've never connected. But Peter and Paul, though, though Peter, Peter has some great respect for Paul here, that was not always the case. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes a scathing review of Peter. I mean, to the point where like, if someone said this, like if someone did this to you and then wrote it down and then that went into the Bible for all time, you would have a little bit of bitterness for this person. Here's what Paul writes. 
when I went to the, to, uh, to the apostles, and he says this, I opposed, this is what it says, I opposed Peter to his face because, he says, because he stood condemned. Whoa, that's Peter. And Paul says, listen, when I went, because of his understanding of the gospel of, of giving preferential treatment to the Jews and not to the Gentiles, and, and that this was not the gospel, he says, I opposed him, not, listen, not privately, not behind closed doors, not like, hey, listen, I just, I just need to call you real quick. Hey, can we have a, a, just a, a, a confidential discussion? What we're told is, he says, to his face, and literally like in front of other people. This is, this is, the, like, can you imagine this scene? You have Peter who's like, this is like the, the guy Jesus chose that is going to start the church. Like, Peter, you're the rock and on which this church, like the gate of Hades won't over, overcome it. All right, you're the guy. And then Paul is like, all right, Paul, you're the apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to go spread the gospel and, and write a bunch of the New Testament. All right, those two guys, like, we got, we got our two prize fighters, like our best guys. And they show up, and you're like, man, this is going to be good. And then they fight, and you're going, happening Peter like Paul just called you out to your face and Peter has got a, what do you do I mean Paul like uh, Paul I'm sure actually I'm not sure he probably wasn't nice he was he was gentle maybe until you got under his until he knew that this was wrong and this would affect like generations of people's understanding of the gospel and he opposes Peter to his face I can't like I can't over, like, overstate just how big of a conflict this would have been. For days, he was there for weeks. And, they compo- and now, this happens, listen, okay? This letter is, is written probably 15 to 20 years later. It's been 15 to 20 years. And we're not getting any insight into their relationship other than that when, when Paul leaves, Peter's silent, and we don't see any sort of reconciliation. We don't see any sort of like, you know what, you're right. There's no making up. Like they leave, and that's it. And, we're, and then Scripture is just like, hey, let's just leave them in their corners, right? You, I do this with my kids. Hey, you know what? Just go to your rooms for a week, and don't ever come out until, you know, like, hey, let's just separate. Just, let's just end this, okay? We'll deal with this later. We see that here where they just, all right, let's just separate. You go, I'll go my way, you go your way. And then we get this insight, and we're not told when this happened or where, but at some point, 15, 20 years later, Peter says, hey, listen, remember our brother Paul, who we love? And you're going, yeah, do you remember Paul, who we love? Do you know what happened? Do you remember what happened with, with Paul? And he says, he says he writes in this, he writes in his letters the same way and speaks uh, on these matters. And then he says, his letters contain some hard things. So, so Peter has Paul's letters. He's read them and, and heard them. And just like, every, like the audience that, that he's writing to, hey, you know his letters. We, we, we've seen them, like you guys know. And, and the stuff he writes is hard. And there are people, there are false teachers who twist it and make it say what they want it to. And then he gives this statement, and this is a, an incredible statement. As they do other scriptures, Peter Understands that Paul, this guy who opposed him to his face, is writing scripture in real time. It isn't later. It isn't waiting for some, you know, Council of Trent or Nicaea in 325 AD or 500. It's not then. Peter, 20 years after this blow up, he, he, there, there, apparently is some sort of reconciliation, some sort of understanding and recognition that, hey, we're on, we really are on the same team. And Peter says, Paul, his writings are hard, 
and they distort his writings just like they do not other writings not other letters other scriptures peter sees paul in real time as hey listen if paul writes it that's a scripture think of the think of the the humility of peter even to to realize this guy called me out and like your pride like you're you're the guy who are you to call me out in my church i'm i'm the guy i'm peter paul poses him to his face and then peter gets to the point where he says hey listen paul was right he really was right and what he writes down comes from god so he writes about the same stuff and he writes about it in in first thessalonians you can read that first thessalonians 5 you can read about some of the parallels and he says that he writes this and they twist and distort the other scriptures and paul's writings and they do this to their own destruction here's the point false teachers deliberately distort some of this to change like like what paul writes certainly what peter writes because they don't want this to be true and here's what this should do this should cause us to share the real gospel that the lord's patience is salvation it should cause us to share the real gospel and then he ends with this the end should not just cause us to share the gospel the end should cause us now this is for each of us to grow our faith Peter ends with a final warning and a command. He ends his letter, 2 Peter, and, and he's, he says this, Therefore, dear friends, again, my beloved, dear loved ones, since you have been forewarned or since you know ahead of time, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Be aware that there are false teachers and false prophets who are going to come and, and, and say completely different things and don't, listen, don't be enticed by them or led astray so that you it's fall from your secure position. And, and in the Greek, literally what he's talking about here is what in theology is referred to as apostasy, that you would leave the faith. Don't listen to them to get to the point where you leave the faith, where you fall, you're in a secure position, don't fall from it. If you listen to them and, the, and like how they distort things and their lawlessness, oh, my fear is like what they've done with so many people that they will fall from their secure position. Instead, that's the warning. Don't listen to them. You, you, you may fall from your faith. Instead, he says, verse 18, but instead here, but grow in two things, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever don't get sucked into false teachings and fall away and leave the faith but instead grow in the grace that you're experiencing from the lord and your knowledge of him here's what he's saying ready this all of this should cause you to grow in your faith to grow closer to jesus to lean more into god not not away from this should cause you to say okay the end there really is an end there really is judgment it should cause me to live godly and holy lives it caused me to to see the the necessity and the and the urgency to share the gospel and it should cause me to say all right i need to grow in the grace that i've experienced from him and in my knowledge and understanding listen listen i I don't know how long you're going to live but i know you're not going to live long you will not live forever and you have the opportunity today right now from now until the end of that time to say i'm going to grow in my faith i'm going to take like my responsibility for my faith i'm going to grow in my faith and my knowledge of the lord because i only have so many days and eventually all of this will come to an end
what you believe about the future shapes how you live today we're going to end here so would you do this would you stand with me and we're going to worship the lord but we're going to um as we come to an end of this of this series and and uh the end of second peter he ends with a glory to the god right like glory to him forever and ever so we're going to here in a second uh sing to the lord and worship him and celebrate we're going to celebrate that one day you are coming lord and we will be with you and then you see that uh on the seats to your elements we'll take communion together so hold on to this and we'll celebrate together um will you pray with me and then we'll worship lord we thank you and we worship you we want to sing to you now we want to celebrate what you uh have have done in our lives and what you will do in the future we thank you lord and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Let's sing unto the Lord together. It hurts.
So here's the deal. Here's the deal. At some point, listen, if the Bible really is true, which I hope you believe it is, He really is coming back. And here's what that means. As scary as that will be, and as like the earth is laid bare, and it means judgment, all right, okay. But we get through that, and we say, well done, good and faithful servant, and then it's, now we're with Him forever. And it really is, at that point, He's like, I'm gonna wipe every tear from your eye. And you will be my people forever. And so we, we look forward to that moment in future, but we live today and say, all right, it means something then. It means, like, how, what I do today matters. It means I got to share the gospel. I got to share with people. It means I need to look at my life and do some, some self-reflection. And, and here's the deal. It means, all right, I'm going to take serious my faith and grow in my faith. We remember when Jesus was with his on his final night and he was... Uh, he actually mentions this future event and he says, hey, we're not going to eat again until we eat in my father's house. <laughs> that this communion meal is our last meal together and then, and then we're going to do this again in the future. But in the meantime, we look forward to that moment by taking communion today. So would you do this? Take out the bread. And we're told that before this final supper that Jesus, he, he broke bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then we're told in the same way after supper, this three-hour meal, his final meal with his closest friends, he gets this cup and says, all right, this cup is a new covenant. And this, this, this new covenant is going to be in my blood. Here's what it means. It means sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice myself. And then he says, whenever you guys do this, whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the cup. Paul gives us insight into communion. In Corinthians, the church in Corinth, he writes, for whenever you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, here's what he says, you proclaim the Lord until his coming again. It is like every time we do this, he says we're proclaiming it, that he is going to come again. He's, he's linking communion, what we just experienced with this future event of, listen, we look forward to this. Right now, we just have this little, this little bread and little cup. But one day, listen, guys, as, as real as Thanksgiving was for you, one day we're having a real meal in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, hey, it's going to be an incredible banquet. Your favorite food will be there. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to make personal requests. And all of that, should change how we live today. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we look forward to the day where we will be with you. But in light of that, we're still living here now and there's still work to do. And we still, there are still people who don't know you who need to know you. So put it on our hearts to, to do some self-reflection, to, to recognize the importance of growing our faith and the urgency of us living out and sharing the gospel with those around us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.